The Athletic. Some sporting rivalries inspire great respect between competitors. Others, bitterness, recrimination and loathing. Today, we're talking about a rivalry that featured all of those things and more, but ultimately ended in tragedy. I'm Ed Straw, welcoming you to a very special edition of the Race F1 podcast. On March 18th, this coming Saturday, a new feature-length documentary entitled Villeneuve Peroni – Racing's Unsold Tragedy is coming to Sky Documentaries in the UK. It tells the powerful story of two of Formula One's fastest ever drivers, Ferrari teammates Gilles Villeneuve and Didier Peroni, whose relationship pivoted dramatically from friendly to fatally fractious over the course of one April afternoon at Imola in 1982. More than four decades on from their controversial falling out at the San Marino Grand Prix, when Peroni broke an unwritten team agreement, stealing victory from Villeneuve on the final lap, Sky Studios and NOAA Media were able to unite the two drivers' families to reveal the untold story of what really happened between them. To explain how one apparent act of betrayal seemed to kickstart the devastating sequence of events that unfolded over the weeks that followed, starting with Villeneuve being killed at the Belgian Grand Prix and culminating in Peroni suffering career-ending injuries in Germany not long after. On this show, we're looking ahead to the film's release with some of the key players in the project, including the director, Torquil Jones, and both Joanne Villeneuve and Catherine Gu, the partners of Gilles and Didier, respectively. But before we go too far, let's hear from our very own Mark Hughes. There's a good chance that many of you listening to this show were born long after the events depicted in the documentary, or perhaps you've never heard of either driver and don't know the story. So who better than Mark to provide some background on the Formula One landscape that Villeneuve and Peroni inhabited in 1982 when the pivotal events of the film took place. It was a bit, uh, is a bit raw and gladiatorial compared to now. I mean, even though Formula One always is, seems to be as safe as it can possibly be in any given moment, um, you look back on it and it was horrifically dangerous and um, yeah the, the stakes were very high and uh, the cars were difficult and unpredictable there there was a there was a war ongoing between the governing body and the, and the teams and the regulation changes were quick and sudden and drastic and yeah it was always it was um, it was a very colorful volatile environment so that was the landscape, but what of the drivers themselves? In many ways, as Mark explains, Villeneuve and Peroni were very different characters, though they did share one characteristic. They were both crazy in the car, and I think um, bringing them together as teammates um, sort of egged them on a little bit. But um, in in terms of background, very different. Uh, Gilles was from a sort of working-class rural Canadian background and had come up through snowmobiles and was just amazingly gifted and uh, managed to get himself noticed by Claren through um, a Formula Atlantic race that James Hunt did. Peroni was, wasn't from um, massive wealth, but he was certainly from, his father had a, a construction business um, 
and it was a sophisticated Parisian type of, you know, he, he knew he knew how the world operated. He was um, he's quite a very savvy, smart, and well-connected person. So um, he was much more polished and a better communicator than Villeneuve. Um, but in terms of uh, raw ability, Villeneuve was unmatched. You know, was an incredible talent. And Peroni was someone who was able to by uh, balls and determination, sort of make himself a, a better driver um, year up, year upon year, and his propensity for risk was um, part of that development. Initially, Peroni and Villeneuve seemed to form a great partnership when the Frenchman joined the French Canadian at Ferrari in 1981. But as Mark explains, there were signs that it could combust. Peroni's stock was very high when he arrived at Ferrari in 81, um, but uh, he, he quickly found out that um, he'd come across somebody he could not drive a car as quickly as, and uh, so he began to work out a way of, of, of being able to compete with him regardless, to compete with him in, in other ways. And the way he did that was to work on his strengths, you know, to use political savvy, his communication, um, helping the team develop a you know, in a better way. And um, yeah, he was he was doing all that without Villeneuve necessarily being fully aware of what was going on. Now, as mentioned at the top of the show, the film hinges on how Villeneuve's and Peroni's relationship pivoted dramatically at the 1982 San Marino Grand Prix, round four of that year's championship. I should add, if you don't know the story and want to go into the film with zero preconceptions, now is probably a good time to switch off. Despite being a favourite for that year's title, Villeneuve hadn't scored a point in the first three rounds of the season, and as such, was especially desperate to score a win on Ferrari home soil at Imola. He stood an especially good chance too, given a political dispute between the teams and the governing body meant that several of the big British teams weren't in attendance. The governing body and the, the organisers of the race were very anxious that some sort of show should be put on because it was such a, a poor grid. And Prost, our new Prodi and Villeneuve, had agreed between the four of them that they would do a sort of display race for the first however many laps. And then at the agreed threshold of laps, all bets were off and then they would do a proper, you know, they would be competing for real. Um, Prost didn't get to be part of it because his car stopped very early in the race. Um, our news um, ran for a little while, but then his... He fell by the wayside too, until there were only the two Ferraris left. And so they were uh, marginal on fuel, and Villeneuve was assuming that uh, once they'd got ahead, that that would be it, and he would be able to back up, back off the pace because of the marginal on fuel. But Peroni kept racing, and so Peroni kept putting himself back in front, and so Villeneuve kept putting himself back in front again and then backing off the pace. So that happened until they held out the whole station sign. And uh, events played out as they did, and uh, Villeneuve was absolutely furious because Peroni had passed him at the last passing place. Villeneuve still believing that um, Peroni had just been putting on a show, and uh, yeah, so Peroni won, and uh, Villeneuve was, uh, he was he was devastated by it and furious, and he carried that anger with him for the next year till the end of his life a couple of weeks later. As Mark said. Just two weeks after the fallout at Imola, Villeneuve was dead. 
Behind Peroni on the timesheets during practice for the Belgian Grand Prix at Zolder, Villeneuve, still seething at what he considered to be unforgivable betrayal, went out to try to beat his teammate's time. Halfway around the lap, Villeneuve encountered Jochen Masse's slow-moving march, and in a split-second error of judgement, he clipped the German's rear tyre. As his Ferrari catapulted violently, Villeneuve's body was thrown clear of the cockpit and into the catch fencing. He would not survive his injuries. In eerie symmetry, just months later, Peroni himself would suffer a very similar accident at the German Grand Prix, narrowly escaping with his life, but suffering such devastating injuries to his legs and feet that he'd never race in F1 again. And five years later, still craving speed, he too would lose his life in an offshore powerboat race near the Isle of Wight. I think the aspect of the story that I was really drawn to was, you know, it, it's really a story about passion. That's Torquil Jones, the director of Villeneuve Peroni. You might also know him as the director of the epic 14 Peaks, Nothing is Impossible documentary about high-altitude climber Nirmal Persia. It's, it's a story about these two incredible racing drivers who had this passion to win, this passion in terms of Formula One that really kind of dominated their lives and dominated their focus and attention. And I th what I think the film is about is about how the families and those closest to, to, to people like that really kind of how their lives are affected by it. One of the unique aspects of Formula One that is so fascinating is, is, the, is the danger element, particularly when you go back 40 years, you know, the period of time that our film covers, you know, late 70s, early 80s, you know, you're, you're looking at a driver death pretty much once a year, you know, it's, so, so for me, it was really the, the it's, it was the kind of long-term scars that are left when, when, yeah, when a family loses someone. So it, you're kind of in this halo of passion and the, in, the intense life that is lived in that moment. But then once that, once that goes, how do you live the rest of your life? You know, for the children, how do they live growing up without a father? You know, it's, you can connect that to anything in life. That's, that's nothing to do with, uh, you know, specifically to do with Formula One. So that was, that was a real draw. It probably won't surprise you to hear that Villeneuve Peroni was several years in the making. But what's interesting is that the project started life as a documentary solely about Gilles Villeneuve. Here's Torquil Jones again. I mean, we've been working on the project for for about seven years um, to get to the release today. So a good friend of ours who's, who's a writer and a producer and also a huge Ferrari fan came to us in 2016 and suggested we look into making a, a Gilles Villeneuve documentary. Senna was a huge success. And as a, as a Ferrari fan, our colleague... Uh, basically said that, you know, Gilles Villeneuve's story is absolutely incredible and, you know, it's, it's, it's worthy of a, of a film, which, you know, lo looking into the story further, we, we totally agreed with. But it was just researching Villeneuve's story and particularly around what happened in 82, this kind of really interesting figure of Didier Peroni kind of started to emerge. And it was the idea of a, of a close colleague of mine, Gabriel Clark, who's also a co-writer on the film. He had the idea of why don't we do it as a, as a double header? So, so do a kind of dual life story, parallel life story that can really kind of focus on the 82 season, but you kind of tell the, the backstory to that and then you, you, you look into what happened after that season. 
Of course, the film would not be nearly as poignant or powerful without the participation of those closest to the drivers. Team members from Ferrari, journalists, fellow F1 stars and friends all feature in the film. But it's the contributions of the families, and in particular Gilles' wife Joanne Villeneuve and Didier's partner Catherine Gu, that give the film its emotional heft. Torquil Jones told me that their involvement was key to getting the film made. Outside of Formula One, it's not really a story that many people know. So we looked into the reasons why it hadn't been made into a documentary before, because the story is incredible. And the reason was that no one had been able to bring together the Villeneuve and Peroni families before to, to, to tell that story. So it took a number of years to, to, to bring particularly the Villeneuve family on site. It was a big step for them to, you know, particularly Joanne, to, to revisit that period of her life that was so difficult and is, is still so raw and emotional. To let herself, you know, be open about that time of her life and to, to really commit to a project. It took a few years to, to, to make that happen. Given the nature of the story, you can understand why there might have been reticence from both families to open old wounds on camera. So why did Joanne Villeneuve, who appears in the film with daughter Melanie and son Jack, the 1997 F1 world champion, finally agree to participate in the film? I put that question to her. Initially, I actually didn't really want to do it. It was a long process for me to just accept doing it, so I hesitated for a long time. Uh, and then finally, um, you know, speaking with the family, they just thought that it might be uh, the right time to do it. It brings up a lot of emotions, more than memories, because the memories are there. Uh, but the emotions you tend to, I mean, you know, you go on with your life and things move on and the children grow. and But the memories are sort of there. The emotions, well, they you have to bring them up to be truthful about the story. So I guess that was the harder part for me. There's no real benefit of going through difficult periods. I mean, there's no healing process, if that's what you're asking. Whilst Joanne's voice is central alongside archive footage, in telling Gilles' story across the film, Didier's story is told by multiple people who were close to him, including his first wife Catherine Bainey and Catherine Gu, his partner from shortly after his Hockenheim crash until his death in 1987. There are clearly parts of the story where Joanne and Catherine's views differ considerably, but part of what makes their testimony so powerful is that they were ultimately both left in similar positions, without their partners, raising their children on their own. For Catherine Gu, who gave birth to twin boys, who she chose to name Didier and Gilles shortly after her partner's sad death, there were several motivations for taking part in the film, including restoring Peroni's reputation against long-standing accusations of betrayal. Here's what she told me. When I read a lot of things during this 40 years, I was surprised when the réseaux sociaux came that I read a lot of uh, effectively like person who were very cross against Didier. Uh, the most, of course, was Canadian people. Um, also, when I went to Ferrari once, like uh, maybe five, ten years after Didier's death, I really also noticed that she was more present that, that, than him in sort of, you know, like, uh, I don't know, even in the shop with the car or the, or the name. Or, and this also surprised me, but I never put um, a reason really on that at the time. 
I didn't I didn't do uh, uh, accept to do the movie because of that. Of course, after, very quickly after, I noticed, uh, of course, that uh, the name Betrayed was coming. And um, it's probably a part of the reason when I heard this name, uh, which I find really strong word, uh, I thought that was um, not an opportunity because I would never have done just for that. But first I thought uh, it was a good opportunity for my son to see a, a little more about their father. And uh, maybe effectively, if this has be a problem, then it was good to to tell maybe uh, what we think about it. The film follows a classic three-act structure, first charting the rise of each driver, then the fracture in their relationship at the San Marino Grand Prix, followed by the tragic legacy of their falling out. Director Torquil Jones told me that for him, the success of the film hinged on him and his team getting the second act of the film, the story of what happened both at Imola and immediately afterwards, right. As such, it was the sequence he agonised over the most. The biggest challenge for me personally was was the Imola race. You know, in terms of how that how that race is constructed in a way that 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 is that is truthful to what happened, yet also feels dramatic and exciting, and also feels like for a, for a non F one audience, why should I care? <laughs> why should why should I care that there are you know that there's slow signs going out and there's overtaking? You know, so constructing that that sequence and then kind of the hardest sequence in the whole film for me was was the was the sequence after that which was the two-week period between Imola and Zolda when this there's this kind of war of words in the press uh, between Villeneuve and and Peroni it was really hard to strike the right balance in that sequence because obviously we'd, we'd interviewed contributors for the films they all had different opinions on what had happened at Imola what happened in the two weeks after leading up to Zolda so striking that balance between what goes in, what doesn't, you know, how weighted should this be on one side or the other, that was a sequence that, that the editor, Ian Grech, and I spent a long time working over. And we, yeah, we, we think we got to the right, the right balance in the end. But obviously when, when, you know, when the Vilna family watched that, they immediately think it should be weighted to, more towards Gilles and... Likewise with the with the Peroni family, so I think we we ended up in a, in a in a position where if we were making both families unhappy about certain aspects, it means we were striking the right balance. I think one of the film's most powerful moments, particularly knowing what was to happen next, comes at the end of the Imola sequence when archive footage shows Peroni telling French media that he expected the bad blood between him and Gilles to blow over. Recalling that day at Imola. Joanne Villeneuve told me why reconciliation was something she expected would never have happened. I was doing all the times. I was writing them down so I could see as it was happening what was happening. Uh, and I kept thinking to myself, Gilles doesn't realise it. He doesn't see it. He's not aware of it, which was very difficult to, you know, you just sit, stand there and continue taking the times without being able to communicate to the person Hey, something's happened. It's happening here. Be careful. So that was the hard part, I guess. There was no way back. There was no way back. Not from Jis' point of view, anyways. 
it wasn't not winning the race. It was really the the the, the betrayal that was that was that made him angry and not anything else. Catherine Gu wasn't at Imola on the day in question, but perhaps unsurprisingly, she paints a different picture. And it's this contrast that helps make the film such a compelling proposition. Didier was very, uh, was never think he has betrayed. Really never. I think the frustration after, I suppose, I can't be uh, on his place, but you can't, you can't talk to the person anymore. It's finished. You know, when someone is dead, there is no communication any, anymore. It's very difficult. And Didier said, uh, I think he said this also in the documentaire, but he said uh, the situation would have been very good after one or two weeks, you know, because they would have talked. They were really good friends, you know, and I don't want to be hard with anyone. You know, I don't want to judge anyone in this movie. I don't want to judge any anyone, nothing. I just make my comment, you know, and I know the man. He's not a betrayed man. He was, he was a great man. He was not, he was not like that. Naturally, there are many parallels to draw between Villeneuve Peroni and the documentary Senna, which was released to great acclaim in 2010. That film went on to huge success, but the filmmakers were criticised in several quarters for painting a story that cast Alain Prost firmly as a villain. In Villeneuve Peroni's case, it might have been easy to create a narrative where Villeneuve was the wronged hero and Peroni was the villain, a narrative that has been somewhat prevalent in English-speaking media for 40 years. So how did the team behind Villeneuve Peroni seek to avoid similar pitfalls? We wanted to tell an objective story and I didn't have any skin in the game. I didn't come to the project as a huge Formula One family. I wasn't aware of the story. I wasn't a huge Gilles Villeneuve fan. So I... I tried to come at, to come to the story with a very kind of open mind, very objective take on on this. So, so really, uh, the, the big challenge, really, in terms of how our story is laid out, is Gilles Villeneuve dies during the nineteen eighty two season, and that's kind of halfway through our story. My my kind of approach to it really was we have the voices of Didier and of Gilles in archive. But it's in it's in archive only. So it's really the voices of their family and those closest to them that really tell the story on their behalf. And of course, on Peroni's side, when you talk to his family and his friends, you know they they, they thought he was a great guy. You know he was not, he was he was no villain. He was you know he he, he was a great person. So you're naturally getting different sides of the story. But then you have to kind of you, you have to navigate that that balance, which is you can't refute some of the events that happened in eighty two, and you know when you're asking objective people who were there to talk about it, and they're all saying the same thing, then you know you, you have to present it in a certain way. So it was really presenting what happened objectively, but also showing these two men as three dimensional characters. So it's not a case where Gilles Villeneuve is a saint and Didier Peroni is the villain. You know, they're they're, they're three dimensional human beings with 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 kind of weaknesses, flaws, but also massive strengths. There was never going to be a scenario with this where the film was going to end with Joanne and Catherine together and the, the two families embracing and uniting. It's 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 not that story. Um, so that was the most important thing from our perspective was just was just being honest in, in that sense and, and portraying it as it is. 
we'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. As with any documentary of this nature, Villeneuve Peroni leans heavily on archive footage, much of it rarely seen or digitised especially for this project. I asked Torquil Jones how hard it had been to piece the film together visually. For a story like this, the, the archive search is really the first step of, of the process. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it came from all places, to be honest. We've, we found some incredible early Villeneuve, you know, 1976 Atl- Formula Atlantic footage that was... It was housed in the Canadian film archives. You know, we got it processed from film for the first time. So a lot of it's kind of digitized rushes that people haven't seen before. You know, there was, there was a, there was a documentary made about Peroni that, that we kind of sourced back to a garage in the south of France. And it's, you know, these little, these little kind of moments are just so, they're so exciting to try and track down, but they're just so crucial to the story because interviews and reconstruction will only take you so far. But, in these kind of sport documentaries, you know, it's really the archive that is the, they're, they're the, they're, you know, they're the diamonds that, you, that you're looking for. You know, making a film today about Formula One, you obviously have 40 camera angles, you're, you have the onboards, you have the radios, you get a real sense of being in the car with the driver up close and personal. Whereas then, you know, when, when you look at the 82 season, for a lot of the races, you just have the, the single broadcast you know, there's there's other cameras dotted around, but but really you're kind of very limited. So we filmed a lot of kind of onboard recon style, kind of quite abstract, fast moving footage to really try and again not it's not really for your Formula One audience, it's for your non-Formula One audience to really give that sense of speed, get that sense of speed across in the film that that doesn't really exist in the archive because it's all shot from high-up cameras that are very far away from from the action. Of course, in navigating the archive footage, the filmmakers face the dilemma of how to portray the crash that killed Villeneuve. Unlike Peroni's crash at Hockenheim or the powerboat accident that sadly killed him, Gilles' crash was captured on celluloid in all of its brutal intensity. Here's Torquil Jones again. With the Villeneuve crash, because so much of it happens off-camera, the first time you see it, your your mind's trying to catch up with actually what has happened. But but I, I I definitely didn't want to show it more than once. I was very careful with that 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 when we showed it, it would be shown in real time. We'd show it once. There's no music playing underneath the crash or anything like that. It's it's not. I'd say we're not you know we're not trying to hype up that moment um, any any more than 
than, than we have to. I think it's it's really just let it play out once, and, and then and then and then Joanne comes back in and, and picks the story up. Villa Peroni is certainly not a happy film, so it almost feels wrong to say it was enjoyable, but but it was. It's a very powerful and affecting film, and I think it has something for F1 fans of all ages. If you don't know the story very well, then it serves that. If you know the story well, as I did, you come to it with all of that knowledge, but the addition of Catherine Gu and Joanne Villeneuve gives it an emotional punch and an insight that you don't get anywhere else. So I think it's got something for everyone, including people who wouldn't know one end of an F1 car from the other. Perhaps a true measure of the objectivity of the documentary is that both the Villeneuve family and the Peroni family are supporting the film's release, with neither having had editorial approval or control. Here's Catherine Gu again. I like also uh, Didier how he's uh, now in the movie. I'm very happy to have made the documentary, but um, I'm happy uh, that uh, people see him today. For my children, I just hope that it will be okay. Uh, and uh, Didier will be not uh, considered uh, as he was. That's all. But if Catherine Gu hopes the film will go some way to reappraising Peroni's legacy, Joanne Villeneuve isn't so sure that people's opinions on what happened between him and her husband, particularly at Imola, will ever change. I mean, having lived it, having been there, having been doing, you know, taking the times. Um, I mean, obviously, my opinion won't change about what happened, um, about what I lived and what I went through. Uh, so it's difficult for me to know what someone else would would relate to. I think that the people who um, remember the story because they saw it or they were there, it won't really change their mind about the story because they they... They felt it. They lived it. Uh, the people that came after uh, who had never seen or were not there or didn't know about it, it will give them a glimpse of how, how difficult that time was, I guess. You know, if you speak to most Italians, they will tell you um, that in some kind of way they're still a bit, they're still, you know, upset about it. Let's leave the final word on the film to director Torquil Jones, who is convinced that whether fans like the film or not, it's a unique addition to the pantheon of motorsport documentaries. For me, the the, the fascinating aspect of it, which is why I, I hope it appeals to a broad audience, is is it, it it's it's a female-led story it's a female take on on what is a very male-dominated macho sport so so the so the language that's being used and the perspectives i feel is very different to other documentaries that are out there in this space um and, and it's and it's really it's really about the, the the positive sides of of living and being with someone like Gilles Villeneuve or Didier Proning but when when tragedy strikes it's, it's how you rebuild your life after that. Villeneuve Peroni, Racing's Untold Tragedy, premieres on Sky Documentaries on Saturday, March 18th. The Athletic. 